Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone here. Some of you are in town for that, and we're glad you're with us, and others are going to be leaving town or already left. Um, may God bless your travels and all your time with family and friends. It was sure a blessing last week to have our Advent family Thanksgiving and to be together with people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you missed it, it was awesome. Great food and great conversation, and we'll do it again next year. Uh, fill that gym uh, with all that stuffing. Ooh, man, it was good. So uh, real exciting. Um, we've been studying John the Baptist, a great person to move us into the Advent season, which is a season of anticipation of the birth of Jesus Christ. We got a head start with John a few weeks ago and talked about his beginnings. And from the very beginning, his parents are clued in that this guy has a clear path, a clear purpose, a clear reason for being brought into their lives, though they were past the childbearing years. John was given to them to prepare the way of the Lord. And from the very beginning, they knew that, and they celebrated that. They weren't like some stage uh, couple who have to have their kid on the front uh, of the uh, whole thing, you know, on stage, they were happy that their child was going to be given, like Mary, a supporting role. And indeed, last week we looked at John's message, which continued through all sorts of his sayings to point people not to him, but to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God is coming. There he is. Here is the one who I am not worthy to untie his sandals. Here is the one I've been talking about, but more importantly, the one everybody before me has been waiting for. Don't miss him. Here he comes. His name is Jesus. But some missed him. We find out that when Paul is doing his ministry, he comes across 12 people who have been baptized. They're very proud of this. He said, but who baptized you? John. Paul's like, okay, that's a good start. That's like 101. How is it that there were people who had been baptized by John, but not yet reached by the message of Jesus Christ? Well, You know, we tend to think everybody knew what was going on in those days. Just because we know through social media everything that's going on everywhere that we care to investigate doesn't mean that they had those resources. People who knew Jesus were a relatively small small number, and we know this to be true because when he reaches the cross, there's only a few left and only 11 ready to receive him when he's raised from the dead and their wives and a few women. Now, it's very possible that John's profile was higher than Jesus's for that time, and maybe some people never quite left John's side. I was surprised to find out myself that today there is a group of people who still follow John's teachings but don't believe in Jesus. They're called the Mandaeans. And, and many of them, unfortunately for them, are in the Syrian region of our world, which means many of them have been threatened 
by that terrible conflict. Oh, one of the counts we have is about 60,000 of them, but some worry that that number is diminished. As you know, it's been a dreadful conflict there that they probably have also been swept up in. Fortunately, some are scattered around the world. There's a sizable contingent in Australia, of all places, and in the U.S. These are people who follow John but don't believe in Jesus. It's an interesting thing. What's their life like? Well, they follow the things that John said. You know, they repent. They get baptized, but they get baptized all the time. You get baptized, you know, whenever you feel like you might need it. Uh, A washing for the forgiveness of sins that continues. We say that because of Jesus Christ, once we are baptized one time, we're done. But they don't have the Savior to pay that price. So they have to continue to be washed. They eat simply. They're a relatively small group, and getting in to that group is very tough because the lifestyle is severe. What a thing to think about. First, I'm overwhelmed with admiration for them. 2,000 years they've held on to teachings. And they've lived that way. And then my secondary reaction is, oh man, if only they'd heard about Jesus 2,000 years ago. Like so many of us have been blessed to hear. To live a life of righteousness with no clear sense of a Savior? That leads one to feel a little sorry. Although one can admire when you follow the plan but stop short of the goal. When you go on a long trip and turn around before you reach your destination, there's a bit of regret. Some of you might be able to relate. It's like going to Wally World and finding it's closed. But John did his part. John did his part to lead. Not everyone figured it out. And even to this day, we do our part, don't we? We try to lead people to Jesus. We try to point his way. Not everyone pays attention to that. It doesn't mean we stop trying or give John the credit for what he did. Now, in this a particular conclusion of John's story, we see some more about what he was going through as he reached the end of his mission. First thing that he experienced is a little bit of uh, waffling, doubt, questioning. He says to Jesus, um, are you the one or should we expect someone else? Now, if you look at the context of this question, Jesus has just raised a man from the dead. What's it going to take, huh? What's it going to take? And we can laugh and say, oh my gosh, if you can't be convinced when someone gets raised from the dead. But I wonder, how many times in our very presence has God done something as miraculous and we still doubt? For me, a lot of times. Almost daily. Almost daily I see great evidence of God's work and then I wonder, what are you doing, God, in the next moment? I was watching uh, The Crown. Anybody Crown fans out there? Oh, come on. Come on. What are you guys doing watching 
Survivor or something. You're not watching the Dolphins. Or maybe you are. What great, great, great show about the, uh, the royal family, the most recent royal family. And um, they were going through some publicity problems. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- this happens periodically. The press was really on them. And so, so uh, the prince said, I'm going to um, invite the BBC to come and follow us, our family, and do a documentary and show them what good people we really are what normal people we are, what kind of lives we live. And then they'll be able to relate to us, and, and then maybe we won't get so much trash talk in the media. And so that's what they did. For a year, they followed them. They got pictures of queen, the queen flipping burgers on a grill. <laughs> them all sitting around watching television together, you know, like, like normal people. Only they're kings and queens and not normal, and she's the richest woman in the world and that kind of stuff. Or at least she used to be. Uh, they found out there was a backlash to this. They found out when this was put out that people said <laughs> they didn't like the royals anymore. In fact, it took some of the mystery away, the glamour, the thrill to know them better. Familiarity, they say, breeds contempt. When Pastor Dave and I are not here, when we're out and about, you can't believe how well we're thought of by people. I mean, I've been places where they've had signs for Dave that are cheering when he comes. And here, you know, here we're just, you know, Andy and Dave. Dave and Andy. If we had a celebrity here um, one Sunday, one Sunday sitting, you know, right there in that spot, we'd all be pretty tingly, right? It's pretty cool. How'd that person get here? Let's say it's Chrissy Everett. She's local, right? Oh, she pops in for who knows what. There's, wow, it's Chrissy Everett. Wow, this is so cool. If she came back the 15th time, hmm, oh, is she here? Whatever. Familiarity. Maybe John just thought Jesus was going to float off the ground the whole time. But Jesus was doing his work. He was doing amazing things, but, but maybe just not enough for John. Is that a problem that we have Do we get too used to Jesus? We hear the name too much. We see the miracles too much. Oh, really? He cured a blind man. Wow. He raised somebody. Wow. But not really wow. One of the things we have going for us is Christmas is coming. Can we get ourselves ready for a big wow that God so loved the world he sent his only son? I think that's one of the tasks of Advent is clearing away the fact that we're very used to Jesus coming this time of year and letting him surprise us again in a new way. Jesus throws back. He's able to dish as well as take, right? What do you think, John? Take a peek, John. Look around and see what's happening. I'm doing all this stuff. And by the way, John, I'm doing stuff that you can't do. John doesn't do miracles. He baptizes people. That's wonderful. That's God's miracle. John's got nothing after that. Jesus just keeps rolling. The blind, the lepers, the deaf, the dead. Good news. See, John can proclaim bad news, repent, but Jesus gets to proclaim good news for the kingdom of God is here. So Jesus, you know, they're, 
they're relatives, you know. They can do that to each other. What do you think, John? Can you do this? And it reminds me how important the signs of Jesus are. And I particularly want to use the word signs here. Signs, really important. It's the word John uses to talk about Jesus' miracles. One of the things that happens is we look at what Jesus did and all those healings and all those miracles and we say, but he's not doing them now or he's not doing enough of them now. He may be doing some, but what about me or mine? Boy, that's definitely a painful thought. But I think we need to remember Jesus didn't come to provide new health care. Jesus didn't come to fix everything in our bodies, minds, and spirits. These are signs to show what's coming, what's possible with God. Signs, pointers. When someone can see physically, maybe we can see Spiritually, when someone can finally hear physically, does that mean our ears are open to the good news that's all around us? See, these are signs. And so, so no, they're not repeated all the time everywhere, although there is a blessing for everybody in every situation, every situation with God. But we might wish for more, and that's why it's important for us to continue to provide signs One sign that's been blowing me away is that we've had the privilege of of giving 600 Thanksgiving baskets away this year through a source of one of our own members has put together a basket brigade, Shauna's basket, basket brigade. A few years ago, they said, Pastor, can you use 25 baskets for church members who might need it? Yeah, this year they said, can you use 600? It's like the loaves and fish. And so, especially in Lantana, we're giving away baskets on their Saturday programs to people who need them, and you should see their faces. And you should see what's going on in their brain as they say, this church cares. Yeah, we're getting some of the credit. We didn't make all the baskets. We do other things, though. But you know, I have to come to the conclusion. We're not going to feed everybody in Lantana, are we? These are signs. Some will be very blessed and others will hear what's happening. And whether they get a basket or not, they're going to say, these Jesus people, they care. This, this man, this prophet, he didn't heal everybody in every village, but he did go to some villages and he did heal some people, which, which is more hopeful than you might think, even if you're not the beneficiary directly. So what do you think? Yeah, I'm the one. The signs are on the wall. Read them. Now, Jesus also after this chiding uh, statement, gives John credit where credit is due. Nice work, he says. I will send my messenger ahead of you, Jesus says, speaking of John. He prepares your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. No one. Wow. To have that said (laughs) about you, 
uh, I think that is a pretty good epitaph, isn't it? No one greater than John. John uh, did his job. Now, John understood he was the opening act. This doesn't happen as many times as it used to be. Remember when concerts always had an opening act? Yeah, Somebody an opener? Um, sometimes, you know, they're a group that's kind of obscure. They kind of warm the crowd up. The crowd doesn't pay much attention. And then the, the real deal comes on the stage. It doesn't always go that way. One of our own members this morning told me at the first service, and you think the first service is the traditional ones, but watch them. They, they went to Woodstock, those first service people. You forget. How would you like to be Black Sabbath and have the opening act be this new group no one's heard of called Van Halen? Now my son would say, who cares? Black Sabbath rules. But still, they got it tough to get on stage after Van Halen. There was a rule in rock and roll for a long time, never follow Kiss. Do you know that? You guys are going, yeah, I know that. How about Herman's Hermits following the who? Any big Herman Hermits fans out there? Anybody ever heard of them? Yeah, of course. They had three hits. The who, there wouldn't have been anything on the stage to play after the who left in those days. They destroyed everything. The the opening act sometimes get out of hand. The opening act tries to upstage the act that's to follow, but not John. John knew exactly where to stand. You know what upstage means? It means you've gone up the stage, you're more visible, up the stage, and then you distract everybody from the real thing that's happening. But John doesn't do that. And neither should we. We constantly need to follow John's example. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. The only name for a church that you could ever really have, it's just it would be confusing, is Jesus' church, right? They, we all should just be called Jesus' church because that's, what, that's the only thing that really matters is that this is Jesus' church. We have all sorts of names just so we know how to find the one we want to go to. Otherwise, it's always about Jesus' church. Nearly every sermon could just start with, Trust Jesus and sit down. That would work sometimes. Paul, John knew exactly what to do. He fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies about him in Isaiah. He lived up to the claims made at his birth. He showed due respect to the one who was going to come. I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. He prepared people's hearts and minds for the real message of the gospel. And then he got out of the way. I must be decreased so that he may increase, John says. You can't ask for better work than that. No wonder Jesus said, no one greater than John. But wait, there's more. Jesus says, even so, The ones who are to follow, the ones who are to follow into the kingdom of God is greater. You are. Not because you did more than John, but because you get to experience what John could only talk about, only dream about, only imagine 
we get to experience. What a work that John did. And, and a work that we are invited to continue in whichever way we can. For we continue to be given the opportunity to prepare the way of the Lord. Where? In the lives of our kids. In the lives of other kids. Up in Lantana, here in Boca, your neighborhood, your office, preparing the way of the Lord in ways that only we can do. John could lift up his voice, but that's not for all of us. For some of us, we may better prepare the way of the Lord to listen or to do, to simply do in the name of the Lord, or to give or to love, or to serve. What way is God given you? What is your mission to prepare people for Jesus? Because the thing is, I think when I grew up, I thought most people were already ready for Jesus. And now that I'm reaching this part in my career, I realize, oh no, they're not. They are so filled with the wrong ideas about Jesus and Christians. At this point in time, we've got our work cut out for us. And we have to do it one kind word at a time, one gentle touch at a time, a basket at a time, a toy at a time, an invitation, a card, a note, one at a time. And maybe then we will hear the same words, hey, good work. I know in your own way you prepared the next generation, your family, your spouse, your co-worker to hear the good news of Jesus. Keep going is the final legacy. Jesus expressed himself eloquently without saying anything when he heard the news. When Jesus heard what had happened, that is, John had been killed, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. It's just, imagine him going away to process not only his family member's death, his, his, his opening act's demise. We had quite a week here around Advent where we've been processing some people moving on. Dear Alice Lindner, 50-year member here. Katie Koch, who had a, an outpost in the back row over there every morning service forever. She used to meet me at the back of the door and grab my cheek and pinch it till it hurts and says, when are you going to shape up? She didn't like me. When are you going to shape up? The last time I saw her, she wouldn't let go of my hand. She was kissing it and saying thank you. We lost Fred Wilson, 
I don't know if you all know the Wilson family, but that's the fourth Wilson family member that we've blessed at Advent Square for the last days of their life. Four members have had some of the best days of their life there. And if you ever went down to Advent Square, you better watch out for Iona Eubank tooling around with her walker doing a nine laps. Nine laps at Advent Square is a mile three times a day. Get out of her way. What a blessing to have these saints going before us, bringing down the obstacles of the mountains in our way, raising up the valley so that we all have a clear path before us for us to walk to the Lord and the Lord to meet us. These are the people in their ways, and we are the people now to do the same. Well done, John. Well done, our friends who've gone before us. I think we'd have to say, mission accomplished. Amen.